0: Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. Join us as we peruse all things Potter. Hello and welcome to Wizard Studies. I'm Katie. And I'm Audrey. And today we're going to be talking about a character that i have always wanted to know more about cho chang (laughs) oh great intro i know i worked really hard (laughs) on it (laughs) but in all fairness she was one of the characters i brought up in the facebook like character or harry potter thing that we've been doing of like one you'd like to know more about and i think i mentioned like her dean and seamus maybe like all kind of fall into this like we They aren't like really minor characters, so like we feel like we know them, but we don't actually know much about them. When you think about it, you're like, oh wow, we really yeah. don't know much about them. Yeah, but my final answer was Blaze's mom, because a good serial yes. killer is just really prime for Katie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that really came off really wrong. I really like true crime and learning about serial killers. I
1: knew what you were talking about. But... Uh, Alright, so... Just a reminder, this episode is being released on June 30th, the last day of Pride Month, so we hope you had a very happy Pride, and that you continue to celebrate Pride throughout the rest of the year, because it shouldn't just be relegated to one month. Um, And we wanted to remind you that we have our fundraiser going on for True Colors United, an organization that works to combat homelessness and queer youth, and paired with that fundraiser, but also you don't have to donate, you can get buttons that we designed that are Harry Potter Pride themed, you can get a button pack if you just send us your mailing address, Um, we'd love if you donate too, but if you can't, um, then you can still get buttons. So. We, like, we're ending this in June, but I think we're going to like just kind of continue it for a couple weeks into July um, as far as collecting the don- donations. And then once we make the donation to True Colors United, we'll let everybody know the total amount that we raised. And we still have a ton of buttons, so keep sending us your address. Um, if you just found out about the buttons and you really want them, send us
0: your address and probably we will still have some and we'll get them out to you. Yeah, and unless you want our pride buttons to be what we give out in giveaways for, like, the next year, get those (laughs) buttons, people! (laughs) Um, Speaking of giveaways, just a reminder, so if this is the last day of June, then this is also the last day of our Facebook group giveaway. So we are doing a giveaway for all of the people In our Facebook group like we'll randomly pick one or two people at this point at recording time I have not we have not fully decided on what the prize pack will be I do have a couple things in mind at the moment so it should have been announced to you guys already but um, we will be picking a couple people if not one if not a couple people to get a prize if you are a part of our Facebook group so if you want to join and want to add a want a chance to win this giveaway you can join our facebook group wizard studies podcast group on facebook did I say facebook enough times (laughs) facebook Facebook. Uh,
1: also if you're listening to this later you should still join our facebook group and I'm sure that we'll have future giveaways exclusive to our facebook group um, and also just tons of great conversation and dialogue regarding harry potter
0: Yeah, I really want to get it to get the Facebook group vocal enough um, that you guys can maybe contribute to our conversations like after a podcast comes out, if we could maybe like start a discussion like in particular at the moment, Um, at recording date, not too long ago, our like house elf episodes got released. So like kind of maybe having a conversation about what you guys think about the magical properties of a house elf or maybe their bond to their masters and how that works because if you listen to those episodes Audrey and I did not (laughs) come up with an answer we just came up with more possibilities and more questions so hearing from you guys about like maybe what you think or what you thought about what we said I think would be really fun for everybody involved so that's kind of what I want to work on next in the Facebook group kind of once our like 30 day Harry Potter challenge has come to an end it has come to an end when this episode is aired i'm pretty sure but as recording that's yeah, still done. going on yeah kind of after that maybe spending more of our energy in the facebook group continuing the conversations that we have on podcasts and getting to include you guys into it because i know that that is one of my favorite things about listening to podcasts is kind of like having that conversation with the podcasters obviously they can't hear me but in this situation in the <laughs> facebook group we would be able to
1: yeah don't be shy start start a discussion um you don't have to wait for us to post about it we would be very happy if someone started a post on their own (laughs) yeah and also it doesn't have to be related to something we talked about in an episode it can just be anything that's on your mind yeah about harry potter probably (laughs) yeah if you want to talk about other things i guess that's that's fine fine.
0: And then just one more reminder before we get started on the episode, um, we are going to be hosting a trivia night with Swish and Flick, if you haven't already listened to our mini episode about it. Just some reminder, quick information about it in the epi- in our like normal episodes. It's going to be July 10th at 6.30 Eastern Time. And then just make sure if you do want to play that you've donated your $5 straight to the okra project and send us a screenshot of like your donation and your confirm or your confirmation of your donation. Um, or you can go on to the event on Facebook and donate to the Swish and Flick PayPal account and then they'll just do a big donation of all of the trivia donations that they've gotten to the okra project.
1: Yeah, and I just wanna add um I think I don't know if you said this, but five dollars per player. Um, so if your team we ask that you do donate per player and basically if you need more information, you can go listen to that episode. Um, all of the information's in there, but if that's confusing for you, you want to see it written out. All of the information will be posted on a number of different platforms. Um, we will have a Facebook event where you can find everything. You can DM us on anything and ask us questions. It should be pretty straightforward. Basically, once you send us your screenshot of your donation, we'll keep track of your your email, and then day of, you will get a Zoom link and just show up to that Zoom link at 6.30, and you're good to go. Everything else will be straightforward from there.
0: Yeah, so we are really looking forward to it, and hope you guys are looking forward to it as well and join us for an awesome fun night of Harry Potter trivia.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun.
0: I also quickly before we get started, I know this is a really long intro. Again, I do want to shout out Laura Mugford. Um, she is a Harry Potter YouTuber. Um, she doesn't tweet that whole like I, we follow her on Twitter. She doesn't tweet that much about Harry Potter. She de- ha- most of her YouTube videos lately have not actually oh. been about Harry Potter. Um, she's just Laura on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, she's just okay. Laura. Um, Wow, that sounds like she's Jonathan Laura. But like that's where her name is on Twitter. I like her YouTube videos a lot. She's just like this really cute British girl who I don't know is like I find very like endearing and easy to listen to. Like I feel like I can relate to her a lot on some things. I don't know because you're a cute British girl. <laughs> I'm a cute British white girl. Um, no, I really like the content she puts out. Um, and she just released a video. Uh, talking about not really talking about the whole jk rowling thing but she brings it up but also like the black lives matter movement and she is right now making face masks that she's a seamstress and she's making face masks right now that I think are so adorable I think I'm going to buy one and 20% of the proceeds she's donating which I think is really awesome for her because she actually just lost her job and is living in London and doesn't really have an income and hasn't for a while now because she works in like the theater community she works at a theater so obviously she hasn't been making money for a lot of this time so she's donating those proceeds 10% is going to a charity to help black people in london specifically her neighborhood and then 10 percent is going to a trans rights organization so if you need a cute they are harry potter masks as well so if you need a cute harry potter themed mask i urge you to check out her etsy and if you want to watch the video is very well said um yeah that's all i have to say
1: (laughs) All right, so wrapping that up, now we're going to talk about our actual episode. So Cho Chang's name is Cho Chang. I never know how to transition into that. We
0: always end up just doing that. I
1: make that joke every time. Um, So I'll speak briefly about her name now. I'm going to read what's on the wiki about her name, but... I'm going to talk a lot more about her name and why it's really kind of problematic later in the episode, so don't hang up. (laughs) Um, So basically, the wiki says, Cho is a common Korean name, Chang is a Chinese family name. Depending on the character, meaning prosperous, common, bright, to sing slash chant, or unhindered. So lots of different meanings. Um, In Chinese... Chu Chang. Um, I don't know how to speak Chinese or Mandarin, so I can't pronounce that, but it it's like one word that's spelled like Cho Chang, but with a U instead of a space. Um, that means melancholy, and that may allude to Cho's fragile emo- emotional state following Cedric Diggory's murder. It is, however, unlikely because this... Um, I think Cho has the character Cho I think that part of it um like that character in the word is not a surname so it doesn't really make sense um but maybe that's like where the inspiration came from I will talk uh, like I said I'm going to talk a lot more about her name later so I'm not gonna take up time right now
0: Next, um, so she's one of those characters, I think we've been running into them a lot lately, where we don't know her birthday, but we do know it's between September 1st, 1978, and August 31st, 1979, because we do know that she was the year above Harry, so she had to have been born between those dates, because you are, like, you have to be 11 before September 1st. Yeah, by September 1st. Yeah.
1: So... I just included that because even though we don't have the birthday, everybody always forgets, including myself, always forgets that she's actually
0: a year older than yeah. Also, there is a lot of like, well, if Cho Chang was a year above Harry, why was she at Hogwarts in the seventh book? She should have graduated. She did graduate. She came back with the rest of the D.A., (laughs) yes but it doesn't in the movie it's not really. yeah she's just like already there um but yeah so a, that's like a very common thing and i've even fallen into the trap of being like yeah why was she at Hogwarts?" but like she came back people it's fine it's not a plot hole i promise you there are other plot holes that we can speak about in other episodes but not this one <laughs> <laughs> um and then her house is ravenclaw
1: Woop woot um love Ravenclaw but (laughs) this is another thing I'll talk about later it's not I mean since we don't know a lot about her character and like what she values it's kind of difficult to see why she would be placed in any house um, including Ravenclaw right it'd be kind of hard for us to sort her so we just kind of have to take that she's in Ravenclaw this kind of is a little problematic as well shocker um because it kind of fits this model minority stereotype that's held um that western civilizations i know in the u.s but i'm assuming also in the uk because jk rowling is british um have this view of asians as like the model minority the perfect geniuses um so more on
0: that later (laughs) okay so i definitely see how it is problematic but i also i feel like i there's a it was a way for jk rowling to get very easy fast other house representation in the book um but i definitely do see how it is problematic as well like her her whole character being the only non-asian indian that we see No, non Indian Asian that we see in the book, like itself, is problematic and leads to all of these other, like, problematic stereotypes. Because when there is only one person as a race, like, they become the representation of the entire race, and, like, that's not okay. Right. And yeah. Like the, right, exactly. Yeah. If there
1: were other Asian students at yeah. Hogwarts and Cho just happened to be in Ravenclaw, but they were spread across the houses, it wouldn't be weird. Yeah. But because there's only one person and it in one Asian student that we know of, and she fits... She's in the house that fits the stereotype, stereotype yeah. of her. It's problematic.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's 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 what I'm trying to say. You just said it a lot <laughs> yeah. more succinctly than I did. <laughs> I'm I'm helping you. Out there. <laughs> so next we're going to talk about her Patronus, which is a swan, and I'll talk a little bit about this later, just in terms of like her involvement in the DA um, and like her ability to produce a Patronus. Anyways, um, so a quick writing from is this the is this the MuggleNet or the Tumblr no, post?
1: It's the Patronus Librarian on Tumblr. Okay, so it's one of the many libr. Uh. Tumblr ones. Mugglenet didn't have
0: it. Okay, yeah, because Mugglenet doesn't have all of them. They only have some, and so like sometimes you have to go to the Tumblr post to find the Patronus. But this is the writing on the Swan Patronus. So those who are highly emotional produce the White Swan. They are very in touch with their feelings and often very sensitive. The White Swan symbolizes one's grace and beauty, whether it be the way they present themselves in public or the way they battle. It is commonly believed that because they are so emotional that they are weak in battle. But it is quite the opposite. By using their strong feelings to back their magic spells gain extra power from the emotions at play this gives the witch or wizard a surprisingly a surprising and unexpected edge in combat which i really like because Mm -hmm. cho is kind of one of these characters that i don't know if demonize is the right word but kind of gets like made fun of yeah and like it's made fun of for like how emotional she is and i'll go through that later when i talk about like how she has the right to feel those emotions because it was a very emotionally taxing experience that she went through but like kind of turn this explanation not only like makes emotions like okay but it actively like turns it around and makes the um, like these the people who have the swan patronus their emotions like their strength which Mm -hmm. i think is like really beautiful because emotions are not inherently a bad thing Yeah, like snaps to that. Emotion should be felt. Like, oh, what's what's that? What's that quote? It's from a John Green book. It's like demand demand to be felt. Like the the beginning of that quote. Pain demands to be felt. I think that's from the memoirs. But it's like stuff like that. And like, I'll talk about this again later. But she was like a big proponent, and you could. She's like there's even a line where she like talks about how y- it is important to feel things so that you can like work through those things and move past those things. Especially like when your boyfriend Dot is murdered. <laughs> yeah, when your s- 15 years old the section where i talk and about <laughs> her grieving cedric it's wild because i had the approach i took to that section is literally putting myself in cho's shoes and thinking about what she knows and what she doesn't know and like what how she feels about cedric and it's like what it's wild it's wild
1: yeah i'll also add um about patronuses or Cho's patronus specifically the if anyone has the house editions. um the house edition of the ravenclaw house edition of prisoner of azkaban has this amazing um like kind of sketch like in the opening pages of cho casting her swamp patronus Mm. um because all of the houses have a different house member or have one of their house members with uh, illustration so yeah it's it's like really cool so look that up you can like see photos and stuff of it and yeah Um, so then the last thing in her fact file is her hometown, which I included as like a speculative thing, because we know that she is a huge supporter of the Tutsil tornadoes. Um, and so maybe she's from there or nearby. It's not really clear. It seems like her whole family is, and she's been a supporter since she was six. So I'm not sure like how Quidditch works is if you like automatically support the team that you're close to in proximity. but Tutsil is located in the west of England, near the Welsh border town of Chepstow. Um This is a little confusing, though, because Katie Leung is Scottish. Katie Leung plays Cho. Also, she's awesome. Did you see her tweet in yeah. response to... So she tweeted a thread in response to JKR's recent transphobic tweets, um, and... Katie tweeted, not RKD. I wish I was this <laughs> Katie, Katie Leung tweeted, Oh, so you want to hear, like, oh, I'll tell you my thoughts on Cho Chang. A thread. And then it was just a, a thread of um, organizations where you can donate to to support trans women or trans people in the trans community. Um, so, yeah, Katie Leung is Scottish and she plays Cho with a Scottish accent. It's never said in the books if Cho is Scottish so it's kind of confusing but I did read something about how when she auditioned for Cho they like asked the people auditioning is anyone here Scottish and she was like the only one that raised her hand and she like left the audition thinking like oh like that like will probably help me get it so it sounds like they were looking for a Scottish um actress to play her So it's kind of interesting since it's never said that Cho is Scottish. At least to yeah. my knowledge, I couldn't find it anywhere. Um, and also because she supports a Quidditch team that's in England. So,
0: I something that I was in a video that I watched. It's like the video is called like the life of Cho Chang or something like that. Um, the the person who made the video wasn't citing a source for this, but they said that. J.K. Rowling loved Katie Wong so much that she made Joe Scottish in response to her being Scottish. Um, Which seems like in direct conflict with what you said. Like, both of those things I feel like cannot be true. Um, Yeah. But. Who knows then? I also want to say that I've always really been a fan of Katie Luang just because because her name's Katie. um, But now I feel like it's justified. You love
1: all people named
0: Katie. I know. I just have a special affinity for them. Like Katie Bell. Katie Bell. Um, Granted there like really are a lot of people named Katie in the world so I love. I feel like
1: I am kind of the reverse where if you're named Audrey I like automatically am like A little skeptical of you? Like, are we gonna fight this out? (laughs) And I, like, have only met, I've met a few other Audreys, but I only have one Audrey that I'm, like, actually friends with, so.
0: I don't think I've ever been, like, friends with somebody else named Katie... Like, there's always another Katie in, like, my grade. I, like, grew up going to, like, youth retreats, like, youth group, uh, like, retreats a lot, like, church retreats. And every small group, I went to the same church or the same retreat every year of high school. And I never once didn't have another girl in my group named Katie, like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and I hated that because it's like well people can't remember my name now like which Katie am I? I always had to be like Katie D or whatever. I hated that. Katie D. Um, I'm Katie D. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, moving on to her first mention. So it is in Prisoner of Azkaban. So I'm going to read her first mention and then her first description because they're very close to each other. So her first mention is on page let me find it again 254 in chapter 13 gryffindor versus slytherin so this is when oliver wood is like prepping the gryffindor quidditch team for their match against ravenclaw harry i just found out who the ravenclaw who ravenclaw is playing as seeker it's cho chang she's a fourth year and she's pretty good i really hope she wanna be fit she's had some problems with injuries Wood scowled his displeasure that Cho Chang had made a full recovery and then said, On the other hand, she rides a Comet 260, which is going to look like a joke next to the firebolt. He gave Harry's broom a look of fervent admiration, then said, Okay, everyone, let's go. So then on page 259 is when Harry first sees Cho. So, they walked out onto the field to tumultuous applause. The Ravenclaw team, dressed in blue, were already standing in the middle of the field. Their seeker, Cho Chang, was the only girl on their team. She was shorter than Harry by about a head, and Harry couldn't help noticing, nervous as he was, that she was extremely pretty. She smiled at Harry as the teams faced each other behind their captains, and he felt a slight lurch in the region of his stomach that he didn't think had anything to do with the nerves." I know. It's like Harry feeling a crush for the first time. I know! I think it's really cute. Also to go back to like you talking about her as a Ravenclaw the way that she plays this match is like very Ravenclaw very like well strategized so she knows that she can't outfly Harry just on the basis of her writing a Comet 260 and Harry having the new like best broom ever the fireball so her strategy is to basically like block Harry whenever he sees the snitch and she doesn't really actively try and like find the snitch on her own she just follows Harry around like hoping she can block him and then get to then get to the snitch, which like Harry even remarks as being like like she he like talks about her strategy like in his head, um yeah. During that Quidditch match. And I think that's like very interesting because you never hear of, like, that much strategy happening in a Quidditch game. It's kind of just, like, look for the snitch, throw the ball through the hoop, stop the ball, hit the bludgers at people. So I think that was, like, a very Ravenclaw thing to do. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Find a way to, like,
1: outthink. Yeah, I also love that the, like, first time we meet her is Quidditch. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it kind of gets lost through, like, her other identities in the series that she is a Quidditch player, so I really like that.
0: Yeah, I will say Quidditch is a very big part of her and Harry's relationship. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay, so now I'm going to talk about her, myers personality type, and this is an exciting one mm-hmm. because she's an ISFJ, a.k.a. The Defender, which is the same personality type as Neville, and yours truly. <laughs> me. Me. Just um, kidding. It's Audrey. <laughs> no, it's me. So yeah i was really happy to see that people were in very strong agreement about her being an isfj um i think a lot we know some of her personality but a lot of it is kind of like kind of hard to tell um when assigning to a personality type so some of this stuff i think fits really well and then some of it i think also fits a ravenclaw so i've also kind of included that commentary because it's relevant to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and to Cho. She's a Ravenclaw. And to Cho.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, all right. The defender personality type is quite unique, and as, as many of their qualities defy the definition of their individual traits. Though sensitive, defenders have excellent analytical abilities. Though reserved, they have well-developed people skills and robust social relationships. And though they are generally a conservative type, defenders are often receptive to change and new ideas. So um, she's definitely portrayed as sensitive. That's probably like one of the biggest, like every instance, pretty much, especially in Order of the Phoenix, she's sensitive. Um, Obviously any teenager that went through what she went to, any person doesn't even have to be a teenager, would be sensitive. Um, But I like that it says that they... While sensitive, they also have excellent analytical abilities because I think that's definitely a Ravenclaw trait, and we don't really get to see that in use for her. But um, I could see, I could easily see her having those analytical abilities um, because it does seem like she is pretty smart, uh, based on like Hermione saying at some point that she gets good grades, and she seems like a pretty competent witch. Um, So then another like contradiction is that she's popular and has a ton of friends but we never see her being particularly outgoing and boisterous. It's kind of like she's always surrounded by this group of girls but it seems like they're kind of the ones like giggling and chatting and she's like the leader but very introverted. And receptive to change and new ideas I liked because I I again think that's Ravenclaw type um, trait with originality and innovation. And also, um, anyone who would join the, join the DA and believe Voldemort is back, obviously she had her reasons for that, but um, I think that is like an adaptation that is definitely difficult for a teenager to make and like to accept that new understanding of the world, especially I believe that we do know that her mom worked at the ministry.
0: I think so, yes. So definitely like her
1: having her own agency there. Defender personalities are often meticulous to the point of perfectionism, and though they procrastinate, they can always be relied on to get the job done on time. Defenders take their responsibilities personally, consistently going above and beyond, doing everything everything they can to exceed expectations and delight others at work and at home. A lot of this kind of fits Ravenclaw and what we know about like her getting good grades, um, kind of like exceeding expectations, going above and beyond. Taking the responsibilities personally, I liked with the interpretation of, like, she joined DA because of Cedric and, like, she was fighting, she she would have, it seems like she would have fought on the good side regardless, but, like, she had that personal motivation and that she lost someone um, very close to her because of Voldemort. And I think that is, like, her inspiration for joining the fight and then showing back up in the battle of Hogwarts. Um, So like feeling a personal responsibility to do what she knows that he would have done in that instance. Naturally social, an odd quality for introverts. Defenders utilize excellent memories not to retain data and trivia, but to remember people and details about their lives. When it comes to gift giving, defenders have no equal and using their imagination and natural sensitivity to express their generosity in ways that touch the hearts of their recipients. Again, I like that first sentence about like being social but also introverted Um, and she seems to have a ton of friends so you would assume that she is good at like building social relationships and friendships. Um, Imagination was just something that jumped out to me again as kind of like that Ravenclaw type trait that we see as like the other side of Ravenclaw so you have like the very studious intellectual but then there's the more Luna type that's like imaginative and just like Luna. (laughs) Um, So I think that was something that we don't see in Cho, but maybe is another reason she was in Ravenclaw. Um, Defender personalities are a wonderful group. Rarely sitting idle while a worthy cause remains unfinished. Defender's ability to connect with others on an intimate level is unrivaled among introverts, and the joy they experience in using those connections to maintain a supportive, happy family is a gift for everyone involved. They may never be truly comfortable in the spotlight and may feel feel guilty taking, credit due to, taking due credit for team efforts. But if they can ensure that their efforts are recognized, offenders are likely to feel a level of satisfaction in what they do that many other personality types can only dream of. Um, the worthy cause thing is definitely like defeating Voldemort, joining the DA, <laughs> returning to Hogwarts for the battle. Again, I know I'm like kind of, just bringing this up a ton, but that's kind of like one of her main plot points. Um, and like she had graduated, but she chooses to come back and fight. So I think like not, like she knew that that cause was unfinished and she still wanted to come back and fight. Um, and again, she doesn't really seem to crave the spotlight. She is popular, but it seems like that kind of just like happened. She's not like trying to become popular. Um, and like when she messes up in DA, when Harry comes over, you can tell that she doesn't like thrive under pressure obviously it's like because she has a crush on him but some people like who like like that spotlight like that attention would then perform magic better but she's like feels uncomfortable about having the attention yeah
0: i think that like i'm gonna talk about this a little bit later but i do think that cho and Ginny almost like cho almost serves it like as like a foil to jinny or no jinny what I I don't know which order that goes in, but like Cho is Cho is like the opposite of Ginny and it's shown a lot and like there's actually kind of a funny amount of instances where like Cho kind of like Ginny triumphs over Cho, quote unquote, and I think that's like one of those ways that they are very different. Like I feel like Ginny mm. would thrive in the spotlight and yeah. not that she like craves attention or anything, but she's just I don't know. They're both they're both very popular yeah. and, like, well-liked, but Ginny is
1: very fiery and yes. Cho is more reserved. Yes. Um, and I think that's that's interesting. Also, like, I saw a tweet the other day, and it was like, Harry Potter definitely had a type. And it's a photo, there's a photo of Cho and Ginny, and there's also photos of Draco and Cedric. <laughs> it's like, his type is just Quidditch play.
0: Oh my god, I love that. Uh,
1: it's hilarious. <laughs> but he kind of like, I can see that he was like infatuated with Cedric. I think. Mm. Like even it, right? Like even if, I th- we're not like writing fanfic out here, but like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that he. I mean, Cedric was. I feel like it's was one of those just like cool people in school that you're yeah. always just like, damn, they are so much cooler than me, like. Look at them go. Yeah. I f- Like even if you're straight and Yeah. You're like, not
1: attracted to them, you're still like
0: Wow, like they're so cool, them. they're awesome. Like yeah. look at all of these things. Look at all of like look how pretty they are. Look at all of these things that they have and can do. Yeah. I just feel like Cedric is one of those people.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think everybody has a crush on Cedric. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then just wrapping this up strengths we have supportive reliable and patient imaginative and observant enthusiastic loyal and hardworking and good good practical skills um none of those super jump out to me i feel like they all like kind of fit kind of don't fit like
0: i think supportive yeah supportive yeah because i do talk later about how like her relationship with marietta and how she still stands up for her afterwards like i think that she's a very supportive friend
1: yeah, and I think supportive and also, I don't know if this is really supportive, but kind of supportive and loyal in mm-hmm. that, like, she supports both Cedric and Harry in the Triwizard Tournament, and she refuses to wear that, the, like, Potter Stinks pin.
0: Yeah, and just, like, the fact that she sticks by the fight against Voldemort, even after, like, her and Harry kind of yeah, dissolve, like, she still comes back as part of the DA, like, actively to fight in the battle of hogwarts so then for weaknesses we have humble and shy take
1: things too personally repress their feelings which doesn't seem to be the best um overload themselves reluctant to change and too altruistic i was confused by the reluctant to change because it said before that they were like generally could be open to change humble i think i definitely see i feel like even though she's popular she doesn't like act all snooty yeah um taking things personally i mean obviously like cedric dying she's like grieving him that's not really taking it personally but i feel like oh the thing i wanted to say about taking things personally <laughs> is her the like rift that comes between her and harry regarding like harry's friendship with hermione yeah. and her interpreting that as like a threat to her when it really like has nothing to do with her and Hermione's actually trying to help harry yeah um but i think that's like something that like at this personality type like reading into things is like this has something to do with me. Yeah, it
0: doesn't. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting because going through all of that, I would not think of Neville at all. Yeah, I think I pulled
1: out kind of different
0: passages. Yeah, I'm sure for
1: Neville. Um, but I do think I remember like when I like first saw things about like assigning personality types to Harry Potter characters and seeing that mine was Neville. I was like, oh. <laughs> And I feel like definitely I relate more to Cho than I do to Neville. So yeah, or what we know of Cho and what we can kind of like infer and read between the lines. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think. I mean, like humble and shy, yeah. <laughs> introverted.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um. So for this next section, I'm going to talk about her um, her grieving process and like her emotions post Cedric dying. And I will say writing this was really difficult for me just because a lot of the times when we do sections, it's stuff that's easy to organize. Or I can find, like, something online that has kind of already organized it for me. And Mm -hmm. then I just kind of interpret it as my own. I could not find any, like articles any write-ups that were like specifically Hmm. about Cho and her feelings a lot of it was like why Cho doesn't go well with Harry and it like brought up Uh, a lot of these things but it's not like about her that's about her and in context of Harry so this might be a little bit all over the place because I also have a lot of like thoughts and feelings about this and trying to put it in like a format and an order that like actively make sense it was difficult for me so I apologize if this feels like it's all over the place because I felt all over the place writing it so I'm gonna start off with like kind of what I mentioned earlier like actively trying to put myself in Cho's shoes and like try not try to feel what she felt because that's impossible but try, just try and like think of all of the things that she knows all the things that she doesn't know and kind of how she chooses to react with those things so let's imagine say you are 16 years old and your boyfriend is competing in this Wizard tournament and you're cheering for him and this is supposed to be very exciting like he could win 10,000 galleons at the end of this he could be a hero like the champion and he comes back dead with like no explanation so for the first month after the third task Dumbledore has not yet told the school what happened and he actively tells students there's a month in between the first half ta- the third task ending and the end of the school year wait really yes doesn't the third test happen at the end of June so my my sister was my research assistant when i was doing these notes like i just told her to look up things for me and there's literally like harry says the past month has like passing a blur i can only remember like a couple of things from the past month damn okay so she goes a month like not knowing at all what happened just knowing that cedric is dead she doesn't know where they went. She doesn't know who killed them. She doesn't know how he died. He's just dead. And so she's like trying to process th- these emotions. But when you don't have any answers, it's like really hard to grieve. That's like what I feel like a lot of family um, who like have members of their family like killed or that they just end up dying. Like they're always like you hear them like I want answers so I can move on. Like I want to put this to rest so I can move on. I I'm not doubting you. Mm hmm.
1: Because I believe you, I believe what Rebecca says, but it it happens on the twenty fourth of June, and I just feel like the school year is a different length
0: every year. Honestly, could <sighs> happen. Honestly, might be true. Because <laughs> it normally ends at the end of June. Oh, I can't yeah. reach my fourth book from here.
1: That's fine.
0: Um. So. And, like, Dumbledore has asked the students, like, not to ask Harry about what happened. So, nobody knows what happened. And, like, Harry even mentions that, like, a lot of people are, like, whispering behind his back. He even, I think he even, like, proposes that some people might even think that he killed Cedric. Because he was the one that was there. And, like, he's the one who came back with the dead body. So, literally nobody knows what the fuck just happened. Um... And so then, in the speech, Dumbledore says that Voldemort killed Cedric. But he still, like, I went back and I listened, like, Rebecca read the speech out to me. He doesn't say that, like, the cup was a portkey and they were transported to a graveyard where, like, Voldemort was waiting for him. He just says, like, Voldemort killed him. And it's just, like, how? Like, how and why? Like, that doesn't really give any answers. As well as, like, the ministry, the way he, like, phrases this sentence in the speech, he implies that the ministry is kind of, like, blaming Cedric for his death like saying it was his fault like he wasn't prepared or he did something he shouldn't have and so he's not he doesn't even get like Dumbledore tries to get this across to the students that like please remember Cedric as like the hero that he was that Voldemort killed him like he did not remember Cedric yeah like he did not deserve to die but you we know that that doesn't really happen because most of the school and most of the wizarding world doesn't believe that Voldemort is back. So they just think that like Cedric was killed because he wasn't competent enough to pa- like pass a ta- like pass something in the third task and it killed him. Um, and so like n- she is feeling like she believes that Voldemort is back. So she's feeling that like this her this boy, her ex her boyfriend i don't even know if x is really the right late her, yeah or like her late boyfriend like doesn't even get to be remembered the way that he deserves to so it's like it's always it's like also this kind of like rage and like injustice so yeah right after she learned all this information she's put on the hogwarts express and shipped back home away from her friends away from like people she can like talk to because her parents one if not both are ministry workers so they probably don't believe that voldemort is back so she like really doesn't have anybody to talk to like unless she visits friends which i suppose could happen if she's not like living at four Privet drive like harry is but either way like she's more isolated from the wet like from the rest of her friends being at home over the summer like her parents probably don't believe that voldemort is back we know that they don't want her to join the da so like they might have those feelings um so she's just like so confused so sad so angry doesn't really have anybody to talk to and like She's probably scared too. If she believes that Voldemort is back, she's probably getting scared that like he's rising to power again. Again, um, and so like, I would, like that is just crazy. Like I've never really sat and been like, okay, so what does Cho know and what does Cho not yeah. know and what are her circumstances? And it's wild to think that that's what they were because that's insane. That's crazy. And yeah. the fact that she's, like, even as okay as she is in Order of the Phoenix is, like. I know.
1: She's doing well. Like Rocks, girl.
0: <laughs> you go, girl. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, even though, like, her and Cedric maybe weren't, like, super in love or didn't date for years or all of these things. Like, it doesn't detract from the fact that she cared about him. Even if it was just a friend who did that or an acquaintance. Like, I feel like people should have. Like, if somebody you know dies, you are going to be affected. And you're going to feel that. And you're going to have to grieve them. Um, So, Cho doesn't choose to, like, shut down. She chooses to, like, actively believe Harry. Honor Cedric's memory. I think this is twofold. And, like, her relationship with Cedric and Harry are, like, very intertwined. So, she chooses to believe that Voldemort is back. I think because she wants to honor Cedric's memory and believe that he died this heroic death but also i think she wants to trust harry and like believe what he says so i think it's those two things that get her that convince her that voldemort is actually back and she doesn't even just believe that voldemort's back she actively chooses to fight against him by joining the da Mm -hmm. the next year which is just i feel like she's just so brave and a lot like by doing that i really do think so yeah i agree Um, sorry just been reading through my notes and just trying to see if i said everything i wrote down so moving on to order of the phoenix like kind of like so that was all like immediately after cedric's death during order of the phoenix she has a couple of encounters with harry and they're all like really awkward um but i think that A lot of her relationship with Harry and a lot of her seeking out Harry and spending time with him and like quote-unquote dating him, I do think it has a lot to do with Cedric. She even says during one of their dates, like, Asked Harry about Cedric, like, did Cedric say anything about me before he died? And Harry's like, oh, uh, uh, I don't want to talk about Cedric because, like, I mean, that's kind of awkward. It's like her ex boyfriend that you watch die. Like, ooh, it's a little. But also, <laughs> it's a lot going on there. Uh, yeah, but Cho like says, like, no, I. Why won't you talk to me? Like, talking about it is makes it easier to cope. Like, you should want to talk about this. Like, you should talk about it. And he's like, well, I yeah. talked to Hermione about it. So like. Ah. Harry <laughs> um, so Cho I think really tries to lean on Harry as this one person who would understand what she's going through who would she could finally get some answers from and Harry just completely ignores all that and wants to just move on and not think about Cedric which again like I mentioned is kind of awkward like it is her ex-boyfriend that you watch die like that is awkward but Cho kind of like needed him in that moment and he was unable to show up for her next i'm going to read this quote that is like done really well in the movies that hermione says in response to like kind of ron and harry i feel like this is right after so it's right after harry kissed joe and he's like it was what and then ron's like well she does cry all the time so they're kind of like making fun of her crying but hermione's like um don't you understand how Cho's feeling at the moment hermione asked no said ron and harry together Um, (laughs) i wish you guys could have seen her face it's like uh, they just like so ignorant like if you had thought for just like 10 seconds like just had done that thought experiment that i just did like put yourself in chose chose shoes they would have realized but boys don't it's fine um hermione sighed and laid down her quill Well, obviously she's feeling very sad because of Cedric dying. Then I expect she's feeling confused because she likes Cedric and now she likes Harry and she can't work out who she likes best. And then she'll be feeling guilty, thinking it's an insult to Cedric's memory by kissing Harry at all. And she'll be worrying about what everyone else might say about her if she starts going out with Harry. And she probably can't work out what her feelings toward Harry are anyways because he was the one who was with Cedric when Cedric died. So that's all very mixed up and painful. Oh, and she's afraid she's going to be thrown off the Ravenclaw Quidditch team because she's flying so badly a slightly stunned silence greeted the end of the speech and ron said one person can't feel all that at once they'd explode just because you've got the emotional range of a teaspoon doesn't mean we all have said hermione nastily picking up her quill again so i I love that quote i that's so good not only do i think it's like a great moment of like a female standing up for a female um but like hermione's just like kind of fed up with I. this is me reading into the text, but I feel like her mind is like very fed up with Ron and Harry just kind of being ignorant to Cho's feelings and her situation. And she's just like, how can you guys not see how difficult this is this is for her? Like I don't understand. And so she just kind of like goes on this long rant um bringing up a lot of the things that joe may or may not be feeling but probably are like not only is she feeling all those things but they're like all at once together in conjunction they're all connected and it's just like really difficult like i can't i cannot imagine all of those feelings and it's wild to think um that a 17 year old had to feel all of these things So, Cho gets a lot of heat um, for being too emotional, but I really do think that if she had not been emotional, not only would it have been like a disservice to Cedric and like their relationship, but it would have been like I don't like if she had just turned up fine the next year and had not talked about Cedric at all to Harry and had just moved on like nothing happened. I think that would have been really, really bad. And not touching on the fact that like of how death affects people. So I do like that. Um, In terms of her and Harry's relationship, I do wonder how much of their relationship was based on the fact that Cho actually liked Harry or how much it had to do with the fact that she could connect with Harry on some of these things, even though Harry, like, wouldn't connect with her. um, She felt like Harry could understand these things and how she was feeling and just him being, like, someone who understands, basically. Mm -hmm. Um like i said i don't really know how many people she could talk to about his death um and like could actually understand i really don't think it was anybody but harry at this point um i feel like she could also have just been like moving to trying to move on like a little bit fast maybe just like spent more time
1: yeah
0: working through her own emotions and maybe trying to approach harry as like more of a friend and just being like hey let's talk about cedric um but I mean, it's hard because she was also feeling these feelings for Harry before Cedric. Like, if Harry had asked her to the Yule Ball first, she would have said yes to Harry, not Cedric, and this would be a whole different thing. So it's just all very complicated. Um, so she was she was always shown and always talked about how she was crying, especially throughout Order of the Phoenix. It's like, oh, there's Cho Cho crying in the background. Cho's crying now. She crying then. Um, Harry, even at one point, like they're having an argument, and he's like, Don't you start crying again. And Joe's like, I wasn't. And I think that's just like really mean. And I'll talk a little bit more about like how Harry was kind of a shit boyfriend later. Yeah. Um, but I don't, well, I don't actively think the books were like making fun of her for crying. Like, I don't think it was ever like meant to be like, Oh, haha, there's that crying girl again. I think it's good to like see this I don't know like crying is not a bad thing Um, Mm -hmm. and so like showing that not only is she like going through those emotions but then like showing her joining the DA like actively being a part of the resistance showing her coming back like moving on um, like even though it's not like really a full art because it's not from her perspective or not from somebody who like is really close with Cho post Order of the Phoenix like just the idea that she was able to come back and is happy uh, supposedly happy with michael corner at the seventh book like seeing her feel all of these emotions and then supposedly like move on from them and like be a stronger be a better person i think is like really good and really important because like i mentioned earlier i think that it would have been a lot worse and i would be a lot more worried if like she had not been shown going through these emotions yeah Yeah, for sure
1: i think I'm glad that you went to that section. That's kind of like what the goal I had when, when I came up with that section. Yeah. But I think it's really important as adults to look back on that and like think about everything that she was going through. I think it's it's something like one of these additional messages in the series. Like whether J.K. really intended it or not, I think there's a lot for us to learn from that, um, and a lot I think it gives us a new perspective on Cho. I remember when I was like a kid reading the series, I definitely kind of like rolled my eyes at Cho and, Mm -hmm. you know, didn't really like her as a character, but I'm definitely growing to appreciate her more. I think knowing like what she went through and what we can learn from her. And I think it's really important to talk about these like difficult mental health issues because like kids these days and like, even like our generation and the generations after this, Are like dealing with really terrible things over and over again, and I know like every generation had their struggles, but it kind of seems like the trend is that like it's getting more difficult to like be a teenager in this world. Yeah, and I think looking back at Cho, and you don't really get to see her working through all of that. You kind of you get Hermione's analysis of it, and then it's in the background. Mm -hmm. I think looking at that critically and like reading between the lines and like making our own inferences is really important.
0: Yeah. I do I do also agree that when I was first reading the books, she was always kind of this like annoying almost like pit stop that Harry had to make on the way to ending up with Ginny. Um yeah. but I don't know when you think about it more I think that a lot of the disconnect comes from like there the gap between the books like Goblet of Fire ends and then Order of the Phoenix she's like kind of this wreck so I feel like the reader had kind of moved on from Cedric's death Mm -hmm. when like the characters maybe had not so we weren't feeling Cedric's death as much at that moment in time just because there were like there was time in between so like by then it's like oh my god Cho like get over yourself but if you actually sit back and think about it like even like to the first time that Cho sees Harry on the train in Order of the Phoenix it's been like what like three four months since Cedric died like it's really not that much time no um all right yeah
1: I think that was good analysis (laughs) thank you I felt (laughs)
0: like I was rambling
1: it's okay I'm gonna ramble a little bit this episode is gonna be a little long um so I'm gonna talk about representation specifically Cho representing Cho's representation as like an Asian woman an Asian girl an Asian person in this series um and why so much of her representation and her character becomes problematic when you when you look at it critically um so kind of I hadn't I never really thought about this too critically I I in more recently I had thought about how it's like how it's a little off and messed up but I never like went through and really thought about it and um, I just want to point out that two sources that I used to kind of like do this thinking and see what other people were saying. Um, were an odyssey online article like blog post by someone named elizabeth Hartswick, and then a youtube video of a slam poem performed by a woman named rachel rostad and that poem is called to jk rowling from cho chang so i just want you to direct your attention that way and i will do my very best to remember to post these um when this episode comes out i always forget yeah but i'll do my very best um And I just did actually post this YouTube on our Twitter, so it's already there. You just might have to scroll back a little bit if I forgot to repost it. Okay, so first, as I alluded to earlier, we're gonna talk about her name. So, um, Cho, sorry, I like copied it. I've done this in a different part of the episode before and I'm just reading my notes and they're kind (laughs) of disorganized. But, so Cho and Chang are both Korean last names. They can also both be Chinese names, but in neither case do they make sense together as a first and a last name. Every every culture, every country, every place in the world has different naming traditions, right? Like, and there are names that are first names, there are names that are last names traditionally, um with all the research that JKr put into the series, you would think that she would put enough research in just to make sure that it makes sense in either Chinese or Korean. Um, it's unclear what if Cho is supposed to be Chinese, if she's supposed to be Korean, if she's supposed to be another Asian culture, um, which then gets into this additional stereotype and generalization of like all Asians as one, as one race, as one ethnicity and as one culture when in fact, it's a very, there are many different people and race uh, and cultures across the continent of Asia, but
0: it's very large. There's (laughs) a lot of people there, a lot
1: of different countries. (laughs) Um, so not even fully going into all of that. I've read that Cho is supposed to be Chinese. I don't know what the source on that is. I don't think it's ever said in the books. Um, so if she was supposed to be Chinese, it's weird that they don't work as Chinese names. If she's supposed to be Korean, it's weird that they don't work as Korean names. It like really just doesn't make sense any <laughs> either way. and it's kind of I it, you think about all of the like names and the focus that JK put on names in the series and like their meanings and to just generically throw at a name that sounds Asian and not do any of the background research on that is like very problematic yeah um i want to like pull a couple quotes from the two sources i was talking about the first one from elizabeth hartswick says regardless of this fact i've been told by both sides of the argument that the name is incredibly generic that is not to say that harry and ron do not have generic names as well but in a fantasy series where you have characters with names like lucius hermione and severus the idea that Rowling could not come up with a more interesting name for Cho is hard to believe other quote um which is something from the poem that i'm gonna read that i it's like comical but also makes you think yeah um and it's from the poem so it's from the perspective of cho chang it says me being named cho chang is like a frenchman being named garcia sanchez <laughs> because this the poet was saying if she's supposed to be chinese and you named her a korean name it doesn't like it doesn't make any sense like that's as different as france and spain like france and spain are both european countries but we don't generalize them together as just european
0: yeah Yeah, that's actually really funny because my family and i have been watching a lot of jeopardy like we'll go back and like watch old episodes like big trivia family here um and there is we were watching the most recent tournament of champions and there's a guy on there whose name is francois but like he's from like middle of the united states like very unexotic and I'm just like wow that's really weird like can you imagine that and it's just like basically like that it doesn't like yeah. it seems off Like, granted his like ancestry might be French like I have no I have no reason to judge <laughs> this man but it was just kind of like weird to me it sounded odd <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah her name problematic Um, then there's the vilification of Cho and this is a little more intricate. So Cho in general is like a character on the good side, right? And like she even dates Harry. But she does kind of get vilified in a way that like she's the seeker who might be good enough to beat Harry but isn't. And she's the reason that Harry has trouble finding a date for the Yule Ball. And the whole DA fallout, which is portrayed worse in the movies as her, which I'll get to later, but as her being like the person who portrayed the DA. And then even so, even though in the book she's not the one that betrayed the DA or betrayed the DA, um, she still gets partially blamed for it. So there's kind of like this. Uh, there's reasons for car- for readers who are on Harry's side and reading from Harry's perspective to not like her, um, and she's not given a lot of reasons like to be liked. Then there's the Ravenclaw thing. So. This we mostly talked about earlier, but it, like it fits her into the stereotype that the Asian Asians are this model minority. They're all geniuses. They're all super smart. Um, and we don't really see that clear of reasons for Cho to be in Ravenclaw more strongly than any other house, right? Like we talked about her being brave. We talked about her being loyal. She also seems smart and and um, imaginative and accepting. And I don't know. She's probably ambitious, but we don't know. <laughs> like, um, so the fact that she's the only Asian student we know of at Hogwarts and that she, like, is put into the house that fits the stereotype is the problem. Yeah. Okay. Um, We're going through these. Then there's a the lack of character development. So, Katie and I were talking about this earlier before we started recording, about her, if she's a complex character or not. And you're probably thinking, well, Katie just got done talking about all these complex emotions that she has. Like clearly she's a complex character. And I think that's there's like that's a valid interpretation. But I think where I kind of came down with us having this discussion is that she's complex when we read into it and when we do the work and put ourselves in her shoes and go the step further that like clearly Hermione has probably been doing but like Harry didn't do and JK didn't do for us um so JK writes her as one-dimensional um you know as the girl who's grieving her boyfriend's death and I think I like her character in what we can read into her I think that she has a lot to offer but I think a lot of that work has to do be done by the fans and I can still like her character and be critical of the way that JK wrote her.
0: Yeah, I think that a lot of this is kind of a knee-jerk reaction. Is like, well, a lot of characters like Seamus didn't get a full backstory like all of these things. Right. But the problem like we talked to we talked about earlier it comes down to the fact that like she was the only Asian character that JK Rowling wrote into this series. So like, let's say Mia's like a white woman. It's like, oh, well like, um why can't I not think? Of, like Tonks wasn't a very, like, dynamically written character. Like, we don't know too, too much about her character other than her relationship with Lupin, but because even if I can't identify with Tonks in that way, like, there are so many other white women characters that I can choose to identify with, and, um, Choose to be my favorite character that, like, puts... That feels like me in the story. And I can dress up as for Halloween. But, like, because Cho is the only Asian character, it it's, like, makes it so much worse. And that's when it becomes a problem. Like, if Hermione had also been Asian, this would not even be something that we're talking about. But, like, Hermione isn't also Asian. Right.
1: And it's compounded by the fact that, in addition all of the characters of color at least like the students if you don't do the extra work and read hermione as black which i know a lot of people in the fandom are super into doing it that way and i intend on my next read through to like intentionally do that Mm -hmm. but if you don't do the extra work right if you just take what jk gave us all of the characters of color that are students are minor characters right like dean doesn't have much backstory poverty and padman don't have much backstory cho blaze lee all these people And then it gets compounded. Like, there's so much backstory for so many of the white characters. Yeah. It's like, it's just very frustrating. So, I think getting back to Cho specifically, we don't know a ton about her besides that she, like, plays Quidditch, is into Quidditch, and is in the DA and, like, dated Cedric and that kind of stuff. Um, A lot of her character centers around her grieving or being upset by boys, specifically white boys. Um, And this falls into this plethora of tropes of Asian women falling in love and kind of crying over white men who have left them. Um, So two, like one's an opera and one's like a musical, I think that two pieces of work that I have never seen but get cited in that slam poem are Modern Butterfly and Miss Saigon, which both kind of have to do with this storyline of like a white man coming to Asia and like falling in love with an asian woman and then leaving and like the woman being crushed um and cho when you look at it like that happens with cedric obviously like he gets killed he doesn't like leave her and then like she doesn't have a successful relationship with harry and like that's got to be another thing added to the grief that we're talking about
0: honestly cho if i'm being honest with you you're much better off with harry anyways like
1: You're much better off with Harry. Without Harry, sorry. I didn't
0: finish. Without, you're much better off. You're much better off without Harry than with Harry. Just like. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Um, So, since there's not a lot of personal character development, because of this, she doesn't get the chance to counter the stereotypes that JK wrote her into. So, like, if we had more character development of her reasons why she's in Ravenclaw or other things, like her being more dynamic than just like falling in love with these two boys there would be more of a chance for her to break those stereotypes.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. And then just to wrap this up, um getting kind of away from Cho, I wanted to just read kind of a long quote from Elizabeth Hartswick, the author of this blog post that I was talking about earlier, and it's just about representation and I I felt like it was said really well and I personally, I mean I think in this time, if you're living in the United States or like aware of what's going on in the United States um, with uh, uprisings against police brutality and racism, you're thinking about representation. And we talked about representation on our Lavender Brown episode and I recently like wrote a paper about representation. so like it's been on my mind a lot and I thought this articulated it really well, so I'm just gonna read this quote and like maybe people can see where I'm coming from if they don't already. <laughs> Um, So it says, but what becomes the case then is that entire generations are going to grow up reading fiction that presents itself in problematic ways, and they will think nothing of it. This is like with them not going back to the fiction. They will continue to grow up with those stereotypes in their head, but they will not know where they came from. Harry Potter is not the only problem, and Cho Chang is not the only Asian character that has been misrepresented in the media, but both the series and the character are important stepping stones in understanding how that media affects children and how content creators can change the game. Instead of hoping that readers will come back and look at your works again when they are older and can see and dissect the problems, the idea should be to create characters that break stereotypes to begin with to show children and adults. Let's be real. I just thought that was perfectly said.
0: Yeah, I like so. that a lot. Um, speaking of Asian representation, if anybody's looking for a great movie, I recommend Crazy Rich, Agent, Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> Very good. I think it's on HBO. Or at least it was. I don't know if it still is. Um, yeah, it
1: definitely was. Yeah,
0: I, it might not be anymore, but still. Great movie, and the entire cast is all of um, Asian people.
1: Also, a note about that movie... Um the like aesthetics of the movie are really beautiful. Like there's a lot of really the wedding cool scene scenes. the wedding scene like there's a lot of like I don't know, it's just like kind of like that was like one of my main takeaways this is it's a really beautiful movie and like the way it was shot and the colors and like the sets and everything. I thought Yeah, was, it's just it is like really cool. it's
0: really beautiful. It's really fun. Um and I love so groundbreaking movie. for yes, what Yes. Yes, I think like what was it the first or the second like movie like widely produced like Hollywood? Movie. Yeah, with an all Asian cast. I think it was the second because the first one was like very problematic because it was very long ago. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I like my sister. I it kind of dragged me to that movie. Like I had no interest in watching it like opening week because she want like she had read the books and like really wanted to like support it in the first opening weekend as a movie with an all Asian cast, and I really really liked it highly recommend um but moving on we're gonna talk or i'm gonna talk Audrey might pipe in i'm um, oh. gonna talk about her relationships um just as a note before i get started this originally was going to be a different section um but i do think we didn't i really felt hesitant talking about her in context of boys because that feels like really icky to me um, to like read into a character through their only their interactions with the other gender or another gender. Sorry. Um, but I have decided that that is not that's that that's how it was written. And that's how we're going yeah. to go with it. Um, that is not that is JK Rowling's fault um, that it was written like this. This is what we have. So this is what we're going to talk about Um, I just wanted to like make that clear because I do feel kind of icky having this be a section. Yeah. So uh, first I'm going to talk about her relationship with Cedric Diggory. Um, So he asked her to the Yule ball before Harry did. And she said, yes. Um, I, like I mentioned before, I do think that if Harry had asked her first, she would have said yes to Harry. Um, After the Yule ball, she was the thing he would miss most for the second task, which I'm pretty sure we've talked about before is like kind of bogus. Um, not that Cho was a thing. I mean, yeah, kind of that Cho was the thing that Cedric wanted most. <laughs> um, like, half of these are just the people that these people took to the Yule Ball. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's just like i get that they're just like working with it but they could have picked like a better phrase than the thing you'd miss most i think for harry yeah. like it might actually be true if i'm being completely honest yeah. with you and maybe and even for fleur. fleur like her little sister yeah but yeah. for cedric and crumb it's like well we have nobody else so we'll just use their yule ball dates um so yeah, we don't want to write a friend into this. So. Yeah, <laughs> um, they were after the, the Yule Ball and after the second second task, they were seen like around the school holding hands. Um, we do know that they went on a date to Madame Puttyfoot's at some point, and then he died. So that was her relationship <laughs> with Cedric. We really don't get much of it, and I think it's because like Harry actively tries to avoid them because like he's still crushing on Cho, and like he doesn't really want to see her happy with somebody else. So we don't really see much of their relationship, also because Cedric kind of dies pretty soon into it. So it's kind of a bummer. Next, I'm going to go through her relationship with Harry. So Harry first noticed Cho as I read in the first mention during the Ravenclaw Gryffindor Quidditch match in the third year. Like I mentioned before, she had a really smart strategy to try and win that game. Um, we do. It was. I should note that she didn't. Harry caught the snitch. Um, she did not. <laughs> Well, she pulled up
1: because Malfoy was being a Dementor.
0: Mm. Is that that one? Really? Yeah. It's oh the wow! Because the Hufflepuff game is the when the Dementor actually comes. Yeah. And Cedric catches the Snitch. Yeah, just <laughs> um, So he did see her. She was at the Quidditch World Cup um, at the beginning of *Goblet of Fire* with her parents. She was not she chose not to wear the Potter Stinks badges, which we kind of talked about earlier with like with her loyalty. Um, as much as she supported Cedric, she did not feel the need to like push Harry down because of it. Like you can still cheer for somebody and not actively root against the other people. Just saying. Um, I have a really big problem with people booing at sporting events. Just like Yeah. It's rude. I will be at certain players, though. But I have very specific reasons. Um, again, um, I don't... Oh, again, I do really think that she would have said yes to Harry if he had asked her first the Yule ball. Um but then so after Cedric died the relationship does change a little bit obviously so she stood by Harry and believed him and she like declared her intent to fight against Voldemort and his followers um the first couple encounters that Cho has with Harry and Order of the Phoenix are like really really bad and they're basically like disaster moments for Harry so the first one is on the Hogwarts Express Cho walks in and Harry's covered in stink sap and is with Luna and Neville which he remarks like oh he wishes he was in a cabin with like much cooler." people who were like laughing at a joke he just said or something Um.
1: oh my god (laughs) i'm rolling my eyes so so i know i know it's luna and neville are the coolest people
0: i know honestly
1: you know them
0: yeah
1: wow we're friends that's impressive
0: luna and i have been friends since childhood (laughs) yeah okay um then my second this this I have a lot to say about. The second time, Ron butts in and sees her Tuchel Tornadoes badge. And he's like, you're, tornado ha- you're a Tornado fan? <laughs> and Cho's like, um, yeah. And he's like, have you been a fan since they've been winning? Or like, are you a real fan? And she's like, um, I've been a fan since I was six. Thank you. And then later, like Cho refers to Ron as the Tornado hater. Can I say something? Yes.
1: Literally, Ron no one cares that you support the worst team in the league. (laughs) Like, that's... Just because other people support winning teams doesn't mean they're bandwagoners, okay? Yeah,
0: I feel this really hard, like, as a female sports fan, I feel like a lot of times we're called to, like, prove our fandom and, like, prove that we're not a fake fan, (sighs) and that, like, really, really bothers me. Like, the amount of times I've been to, like, my college's hockey teams and, like, the men next to me trying to explain things I did not ask them to is, like
1: yeah and like being qu- yeah being questioned on like why you like them like
0: do you just like them for the colors yeah like, oh, oh yeah or like oh my gosh but the hurricanes jeff skinner when he was on the team he's like a very well-known like cute hockey player and so people are always like oh are you just like a hurricanes fan because you like jeff skinner all these things. I'm like, yeah, Chef Skinner is very hot and I'm going to marry him, but that's not why I'm a Hurricanes fan. Um anyway, sorry, just a little tangent. I really dislike that. And one of my favorite things about Cho is that she like is actively like a very big sports fan and like Quidditch yeah. is a large part of her life. Love that for her. Yeah. We love jocks. We do. <laughs> we love a good jock. Especially female jocks. Um yeah. then the third time they meet, they end up talking about the weather. <laughs> they like run into each other at the owlry. And they're like, well, they, like, are kind of awkward. And they (laughs) they talk about the weather. I think, like, Cho says, like, oh, it's good Quidditch playing weather. like, Harry says that or something. But then Filch shows up. And this is when, like, Filch was tipped off that Harry was, like, sending a package with, like, dung bombs or something in it. um, As basically a ruse to be able to, like, look through his mail. Um, but Harry had already sent it, whatever he was. I forget what he was sending It might have been like a letter. I think it was a letter. To it Sirius was a letter to Sirius because he was like yeah. very thankful that he had already sent it when Filch showed up. Right. And like Cho chooses to defend him, and she's like, "No, he wasn't." And at this point, like Cho did not see what he sent. Like he, she does not know if he was sending the dung bombs or not or whatever it was. Like she chooses to stand up for him against Filch, um, which I think goes back to like her kind of being like loyal and supportive and. I don't know, just being overall, like, a good person who doesn't approve of, like, the Harry hating that's happening during the Order of the Phoenix. Um, So, speaking of that, the Harry hating and rebelling against it, she's, um, her, I think this is actually a really fun tidbit that I often forget. Like, Hermione invited Cho to the first meeting of the DA without telling Harry, I think is, like, kind of a way to, like, set them up, which I think is really cute. Um, so she shows up, but she brings Marietta. (sighs) Ugh. Fucking marietta i know right um so this is i kind of mentioned this earlier talking about how Ginny serves as like a foil to cho or cho serves as, i don't whatever whatever the correct order is or if the order doesn't matter or anything so she was the one who, like came up with the idea of naming it the defenses of the defense association but da for short and Ginny's like that's great i'm gonna let you finish But I think that the G.A. is really good, but I think it should be Dumbledore's army. So obviously Dumbledore's army is the one that gets picked. So that's kind of like the first instance of like Ginny triumphing over Cho that we see. Other instances are Ginny beats her in the Quidditch game in Half-Blood Prince. Um, Mm. They go head to head as Seekers. Another instance, actually, no, I'll talk about that other instance later. Um but yeah that's just kind of like the first one of those so during the da um cho and harry kind of have moments um i and like again i talked about this earlier but i do think that every time cho kind of like reached out to harry it was to like talk about cedric and to like be able to relate to him about these things and be able to talk about these things and like harry she's like um no
1: I do think she was also just trying to make conversation yeah
0: no for sure like she doesn't like walk up to Harry and is like so Cedric like she and him generally always talk about Quidditch so I mentioned that video earlier about like the life of Cho Chang that I watched I think it's like a movie flame video it was like it was kind of gimmicky but I mentioned this to Audrey before recording it was very interesting to like have her story like told to me as her story instead of Mm. it being in the context of harry's story like it was from the beginning of her story to the end just seeing it all like that together just her and it's funny because like every instance where like her and harry like talk or when they go to hogsmeade they're always they they talk about quidditch until they get to cedric and then everything goes wrong the only topic that they talk about is quidditch ever so i think that's really funny um But during the DA, she was able to improve. I think it's said that she was never able to complete a stunning spell before she joined the DA. And then she's able to. And not only that, but she's able to produce a corporeal patronus. Which, after the DA lesson and learning how many people can do it. Like, I really question how hard it is.
1: Right, because it's (laughs) supposed to be so hard. but Like,
0: grown wizards aren't able to do this. But, like, Seamus Finnegan is. But the thing is, I I think that grown wizards aren't taught it.
1: It's not That's part true. of, like, school curriculum. So I think unless you, like, sought it out on your own, so that might be, like, having a teacher, maybe. Like, it's probably really hard to do when you're trying to teach yourself. But, like, Harry had a teacher, and then he was able to be a teacher.
0: Yeah, and I do, yeah, I do think that Harry was, like, a good good teacher. Like, I'm not trying to take that yeah. away from him. But it just seems, like, kind of funny that it's built up to be this, like, amazing thing that he can do and then like half the school can do it at the end of this year yeah i think it's
1: like partially just like him being able to do it so young
0: yeah because probably
1: it's probably like trained in order training yeah but i don't think it happens like in school
0: yeah for sure that's it that's an interesting point that i had not thought about before um but also during the da there's this moment where like harry kind of walks up to her when she's like disarming marietta and instead of disarming her she like sets her sleeve on fire yeah. and she was like i was doing fine until you showed up you made me nervous and i think it's like really kind of cute um <laughs> and then so in the da meeting right before christmas break cho and harry kind of like hang out a little bit afterwards um they talk this is when cho kind of asks harry like Learning all of these things, like, makes me think that, like, Cedric didn't know these, and, like, that he wasn't, like, this is why he died, because he didn't know all of these things, and here's, like, no, like, he did, he was a great wizard, and then they kiss, and it's really awkward in the movie, because they don't touch each other except for their lips, like, their hands are just down by their sides, and it just... Is really awkward in the movies. um So then they make plans to go to Hogsmeade together, which ends up being on Valentine's Day, which is like your first day on Valentine's uh. Day is like a whole lot. And they go to Madam Puddifoot's, which is like already kind of a setting that Harry's not super comfortable with. Like they're surrounded by couples that are like making out. Like I would be uncomfortable too, Harry. Um, And it goes, like, really, really terribly. Cho asks about Cedric in here and just kind of, like, shuts her down again. And then he's like, oh, and by the way, like, I'm gonna go see this other girl afterwards. We have to hurry up here. But you're welcome to come if you want to. And she's like, the fuck? Um... (laughs) The other
1: girl, for people wondering, is Hermione yes. for the Rita Skeeter interview. Yes, yes. I was gonna
0: finish that thought later, but thank you for doing that now. I don't wanna leave people in suspense. Then Cho, like, really awkwardly brings up how Roger Davies asked her out before this, because Roger Davies is making out with this girl at the table next to them. And then It goes really poorly when Harry brings up that he's going to meet with Hermione to do the Quibbler interview and Cho storms out and like everybody's watching it and it's really bad and Harry just is so insensitive to how she's feeling and doesn't see anything from her point of view um, and it's just like really terrible. So then after Cho finds out that Harry had gone to see Hermione to do the Quibbler interview which like. I don't know, I guess Harry couldn't really explain that because he didn't know that's why he was meeting Hermione. Hermione was just like, Meet me at the three boom six, there's something really important we have to do. He didn't know that he was going for the interview before, so like I guess mm-hmm. he couldn't really tell her that's what it was. Um and I like I don't know. I think he like half heartedly was like, Oh, it's Hermione, like she's just a friend. Um I don't know. I think he still could have done a better job to like verbalize him and Hermione's relationship whether or not Cho would have believed him would have been a different thing but like he just does not do enough to like explain things to her um but like I said after Cho realizes this she like forgives him and is like Harry that was like such a really brave like such a brave thing for you to do and she like runs up to him and gives him a kiss on the cheek and everything seems like it's gonna go well and then Marietta betrays the DA which ends up being kind of like the nail in the coffin for Cho and Harry's relationship, because then this causes a really big fight because Harry's really mad at Cho for bringing Marietta to the GA in the first place. And then Cho's like, well, Hermione doing that sneak thing like was actually really bad. Like she and her not telling us about it is like really not okay. And Harry's like, I think it was brilliant. And then <laughs> Cho's like, of course you do. And then this is this instance when Harry's like, don't cry again. Um, And it's just like that's, that's it Like they never really mm-hmm. break up I don't even really know if they ever really dated yeah, um, they didn't really date They just They went on one date Yeah they like see each other on the Hogwarts Express And just like don't say anything to each other Like on the way home And then yeah so she does. We do see her with two other boys. Like, uh, let me let me recap that first. Harry was a terrible boyfriend to Cho. Yeah. And didn't Harry do it. ranks th- last in in the Cho boys. Yes. Um, well, I don't. I feel like Roger Davies might be below that, just because I don't I mean, really believe they had a relationship. He's not <laughs>
1: really a boyfriend, so he's kind of like in a different column.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah. it just it was so bad, and I think that no the first read like obviously people who are like harry potter fans who read into the characters who read from other perspectives like realize that this was really bad of harry but i think on like easy first pass service level like we're made to seem that like it was all cho's fault when i really think it was mostly harry's Harry's, fault um and yeah so harry was a terrible boyfriend and they were never made for each other anyways it would have been a terrible relationship i feel like even without the cedric thing like it would not have worked out um yeah that's that um Roger Davies, so Cho mentioned, like I mentioned before, she mentioned that Roger Davies had asked her out. And then they're seen, like, talking later. Um, and that's the extent of their relationship. And then Michael <laughs> Corner, so after Gryffindor beat Ravenclaw in order of the Phoenix, like Ginny mentioned that Michael Corner ran to comfort Cho... Oh my god, excuse me. That Michael Corner ran to comfort Cho after Ginny dumped him. Um, because Cho is seen like crying after um Ginny beats her, but it's also mentioned that like she was crying mainly because she was like so angry, um, which I feel that girl, I'm an angry crier. <laughs> um and then in the seventh book, I almost said the battle of the seven potters inside the seventh book, um, they're seen like sitting in the same chair her and michael corner in the room of requirement mm. before the battle of hogwarts oh, it's a long relationship yeah um and then i'll talk i'll talk about that later um but the other yeah. instance of jenny and cho kind of butting heads is this michael corner relationship like Ginny kind of like dumps michael corner and he like runs to cho after like Ginny. Yeah. um not to like I really hate the phrase, like, sloppy seconds, because that's, like, a really gross phrase, but that's, like, like, Cho gets him after Ginny's done with him, basically. Yeah. Um, so it's, like, kind of another instance of Ginny being portrayed as, like, Cho, but better.
1: Yeah. Alright. Well, we're, we're getting along here, so I'm gonna breeze through this movie comparison. No, it's okay. I think a lot of, like, this stuff that I have written is already, like, We already talked about because it's just plot points. Um, So Cho is not in the Prisoner of Azkaban movie at all. Um, So we know that in the book she actually plays Quidditch against Harry. She's a fourth-year seeker of the Ravenclaw Quidditch team. And it kind of seems like it's kind of confusing because if we're getting introduced to her then, it seems like this is her first year on the team, but also... Wood is talking about her, like, having injuries in the past. So maybe uh, maybe she was on the team last year but was injured. Yeah, like, Wood does now? say, like,
0: Ravenclaw has a new seeker, but then says, yeah. like, he was hoping she couldn't... Well, so is the Ravenclaw... The Ravenclaw-Gryffindor match isn't the first one. So maybe, no. like, he, she was injured earlier in this season and, like, was hoping she couldn't come back for yeah. that game or something? I don't know. But how
1: would he know that she's a good flat? It's, like, very unclear. Oh,
0: he does his research. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> he has scouting um, reports.
1: <laughs> so, anyway, all that's left out of the movies. Basically, all of Cho's Quidditchness is left out of the movies. You don't learn anything about her being into Quidditch. Um, in Goblet of Fire, in the books, you see her at the Quidditch World Cup. That doesn't happen in the movies. Um, and in the books, Harry, like... In the Cobble to Fire book, Harry tries to ask Cho to the ball multiple times, but she's always surrounded by her friends. And in the movie, it just kinda seems like he like needs a date and then he runs into her at the top of the Allery staircase and it's like, Oh convenient, there's a girl. <laughs> and so he just like asks her. Yeah. Um In also in the books, one difference is that like I feel like Cho is like such a like focus of Harry's attention during the Yule Ball. And you don't see that in the movies. It's kind of like the Yule Ball scene is like very quick, and then it like moves to like Harry and Ron just being the worst.
0: Yeah, Harry, like, well, part of the reason he's the worst of the books is because he spends like the whole time just staring at Joe. And yeah. Ron he's like, hey, I'm over here.
1: Another reason of Harry not, another time Harry doesn't do well with the ladies. <laughs> yeah. Um,. And then also, she's shown at the end of the book in Goblet of Fire, like, crying at Cedric's memorial and stuff, but I'm pretty sure in the movie, they just, like, don't show her at all. I don't think she's shown in the crowd. I don't think, think they the
0: either way. It's been so long since I've, like, sat down and actually watched them.
1: Yeah. I am pretty sure she's not in the crowd, but I'm, I don't know. Um, and then in Order of the Phoenix... Like Katie detailed, there are a number of like interactions between the two of them kind of leading up to the the DA that aren't shown in the movies. Um, Seeing each other on the Hogwarts Express, um, talking about Quidditch with Ron, and then the Owlry scene um, where she defends Harry to Filch. And in the books, we know that she's like going against her parents. You don't really get that background in the movies. Going against her parents by like joining the DA in the movies, Mariette Edgecombe is not in it at all. Or, like, maybe is in it as a background character, but is, like, not named. Um,
0: I don't think anybody was cast as her. Like, in the DA scene, Cho and Luna are, like, seen standing next to each other, like, at the hog's head, not Cho and this other unnamed character.
1: Yeah, so that... I'll get back to that, I guess, later. Um, But the other difference is that, like, you don't even see... Like you see, you see their ki- Cho and Harry's kiss, but like the whole Valentine's date doesn't happen. Um, and then with the fallout of the DA in the books, Marietta is the one who betrays the DA to Dumble or to Umbridge. Marietta is at fault. <laughs> Cho did not do it.
0: Yeah. And I think um, the movies try and do this thing where they, like, make it okay and, like, try not to make it seem like it's Cho's fault by, like, oh, she took Vera to serum and, like, that's yeah. supposed to be, like, oh, Cho is really not, like, our like the person who betrayed us.
1: Um, Which is so weak. Yeah. Like, it's, like, it's just, like, a really weird, like, afterthought where they're, yeah. like, oh, we, we have to try and rescue her character because we just, She's not like,
0: actually bad. Totally,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, but Harry's still upset anyway. And this is kind of, this is, like, the reason that they break up in the books and also in the movies, but the reason is different, like, in the books, it's because, like, Cho is still defending Marietta. That is, like, the biggest issue with me, for me, like, they leave so much of her out of the movies, but the biggest issue, I think, is that, like, she gets misconstrued with, like, the person who portrayed the DA, and I don't think she would have ever done that, no.
0: Um can i say one more uh, thing about the order of the phoenix movie yeah okay in the youtube video that i keep talking about there's like a clip um from when cho is like levitating the nigel character like don't even get me sorry on that character and then like harry comes up and she like looks over to him and then nigel falls because like she's not doing the spell anymore ron is also in that scene and his faces throughout it are so funny like nigel falls and he's like It's just, like, it's really funny, because at first he's, like, side-eyeing Harry, like, okay, Harry, get it. And then I... It's just really funny. I'd never looked at his face in that scene before. (laughs) That's funny. Um, okay.
1: Hapa Prince, I don't think she's in the movie at all. But in the books, of course, we see her, like, with Quidditch and, like, dating Michael Corner. And then... Deathly Hallows. In the movies, she is shown coming back for the Battle of Hogwarts. But it's kind of implied that... I can't remember, but I feel like she has, like, robes or her uniform on. Maybe she doesn't. I think she's just there when Harry shows up already. Right. But in the movies, they don't, like, explain, like, why she was there or anything. So, like, if you only watch the movies, there's no reason for you to know that she's a year older than Harry. Yeah. Um, In the books... She um, offers to take Harry to the common room, but Ginny says that Luna should go instead. And, of course, in the movies, Harry doesn't even go to the Ravenclaw common room, and, like, that's the whole thing. But she does... She is in that scene where they're talking about the lost item. Yeah, she's
0: like, the lost item's lost, Luna.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so, like, that's it. I mean, she really gets left out of pretty much every part of the movies that she's in besides just like kissing harry
0: yeah and going to the old wall i do think that one of the worst things about the movies is that like if your names are not like harry ron and hermione or dumbledore or snape like your story just is like not important like the movies tell harry's story and that is all and like i don't know if i can really fault them for that because i understand where they're coming from but it's just like really sad yeah so for the where are they now section we don't really know um it depends on really what you consider canon and not canon um in an interview the author of the books did say that she ended up with a muggle um but that was just in an interview uh, not written anywhere like not in an extra story on Pottermore so I don't know you can choose to believe that or not it's totally up to you make your own head cannons um i would be really interested to hear about what she had done during deathly hallows because if she wasn't at school she like may have had a job may have just been like living with her parents um i think it would have been really interesting to find out what she was doing that year also kind of like what her profession is what she goes on in life to do to be um but we don't really know any of that so that's all um so then
1: talking about my additional books that we use um in calling all witches this book that's uh, entirely based on the movies but has like (laughs) all all the women characters in the books um cho is in the section about the women of dumbledore's army doesn't really say anything new about her, um, but the descriptor name they or the descriptor word that they use is resilient, which I think Ooh, is a I good like a good choice. I really like that. Um, and there is like a little drawing of a swan next to her. Aww. that's kind of cool. Um, and then in Archie Thomas's Fifty Amazing Cocktails Inspired by Harry Potter, I'm excited. Um, we have Cho's cocktail and Katie. I read this and I like almost dropped the book because this is entirely up your alley
0: what i'm excited yeah. i mean i definitely seen it because we looked through that whole book but i have no recollection
1: uh-huh. so it's called cho's chocolate crush
0: Ooh.
1: it says the description is really weird but i don't get how it applies to cho but <laughs> this this chocolate <laughs> This cocktail most likely takes the record for having more calories than any other in oh, this book. Done. That's me. <laughs> it is It is a sweet lover's delight. Be careful, though. It's amazing taste masks just how strong it is. Um. So you want to hear what's in it? Yes. Lay it on me. One part amaretto. Okay. One part Bailey's. Ooh. One part coffee liqueur. One part cream. One part milk. Chocolate shavings. Yeah.
0: Ice. So it's kind of like, like an alcoholic chocolate milk almost. Yeah, it's it's um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely like all cream things. I can see where the calories come from. Yes, and I just saw the Baileys, and I was like, oh my god, it's cake. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, my go-to bar drink when we were studying abroad was Baileys on ice. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: <I> every <pretend>, time, <laughs> which is that. like really or odd. cider sometimes. Yeah, depending on what if I was into like a yeah different moods. Anyways. They didn't have Bailey's. <laughs> yeah. Or if they had a good cider, because Europe does have much better ciders than the United States. Hi, my name is Larry and I'm a Slytherin. My name is Justin, and I'm a Slytherin.
1: And together we host the Here's Johnny Podcast, where we take a look at horror movies, TV shows... Oh, and
0: games. We also have had amazing guests on the show that are directors, producers... And don't forget writers, Twitch streamers, and other podcasters. Yeah, and you can also check out our show every Monday. Just search Here's Johnny Podcast in your podcast app of choice. And you can always follow us on Twitter at
1: Here's Johnny Cast. We are sure you will find an episode you will love. Maybe, just like all of Wands, an
0: episode will tick you... For the pop quiz today, we did ask it on our Facebook. So if you're a part of our Facebook group, you already know this. Um, but our question is, what would your ideal first date be in the wizarding world?
1: Yes. And so we got a few responses. So Samantha says, logistically, not sure it would work during the school year. But checking out the Magical Menagerie and then getting a Butterbeer would be... And then she does like the...
0: Oh, that's, like, my favorite emoji. The, like, okay
1: emoji, like, prime,
0: you know? Yeah, I love that emoji. You know what I
1: mean? Like, three circle, three fingers up, and then, like, your four and finger and your thumb together. <laughs> um, and then Linda, Katie's aunt, stole both of our I answers. Know. So she said, I have to think back to when I was there, their age, which was a long time ago. I would have to say going to a Quidditch match for a first date would be fun, And when Katie came up with this question, (laughs) slash her family came up with this question, I was like, I know exactly what I'm going to (laughs) say. Katie's probably going to say the same thing, but I bet no one will say it in the comments. (laughs) And then Linda did, because Katie told her. I know,
0: I think she stole my answer.
1: (laughs) Yeah, she stole both of our answers. So we're going to share our our answer now, because I'm not coming up with another answer for this. Or maybe I will, but my number one answer would be going to a Quidditch match. Yeah. Um, Sophie said riding brooms together to check out some cool landscapeslash nature and then to Florian Fortescue's for Sundays.
0: I love Florian Fortescue and just like the like pl- part that he played in Prisoner of Azkaban. I think that it's so cool. And I've been looking for some great Harry Potter merch, non-licensed, and if anybody wants to design or can find a great Florian Fortescue like logo t-shirt, I'll spend all my money on it. Please and thank you. There you go. Somebody design it. Yeah. My mom was like, why don't you just design it, Katie? I'm like, mom, I'm not that talented. I do not have, like, the equipment to do that. I feel like it needs to be, like just a small
1: like either a logo like across the chest or a small logo in the corner like on a pocket or like in that area and like in like a pastel like the shirt is like a pastel-y color.
0: Because like so the Wizarding World does kind of have like a Florian Fortescue logo um, that's on like their cups but ice cream is so much bigger than like Florian Fortescue which I don't love and there is um, an Etsy shop that you can like get custom designs for and they can print on like different style t-shirts um, so I thought about kind of like collectively like sending her some stuff to try and like see what she could yeah. do with it. Um, but I would you love should. that. I would love that. And they like the shirts that she have are crop tops and tank tops, which are like right in my alley. Um, so I. Okay. Do you Wait, have, I have another answer? Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> so, so Leia
1: said getting some food from the kitchens and going for a walk around Hogwarts grounds if I was a
0: student. See that's the thing. I think I'm gonna give an answer for if I was a student, and then an answer for post Hogwarts. Because I do think that those would be very different things. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. I think my number one answer is definitely Quidditch either way. Um, and then I would say, like, if I was a student, probably just like going into Hogsmeade for butterbeer. Um, probably like at the Three Broomsticks. I, I don't. I know the Three Broomsticks is kind of like pubby, but I think it's like. I, it'd be, like, a chill setting, and I like pubs, and then you could just, like, walk around Hogsmeade after.
0: Yeah, that's, like, basically taking a date to the Wizarding World of like at Universal, and that's, like, <laughs> would be my perfect date. Um... Yeah, I think that at Hogwarts, I do, I think that, like, a day spent when it's nice outside, like, laying out by the lake, just, like, hanging out, maybe, like, got food from the kitchens, like, making a picnic, like, that would be prime. I do also think that, like, a trip to the, the Three Broomsticks, the only thing with the Hogsmeade thing is that I wouldn't want that to be my first date. At Hogsmeade, yeah. I would want like I would rather go to Hogsmeade and spend it with like my friends and people I already know. I feel like than like wasting a weekend because like you don't yeah get because that you, many. Can go, yeah. Yeah, you, you can only go yeah you can go so a certain number So like what if it goes terribly and then you just like wasted that trip to Hogsmeade? So I would <laughs> want one at Hogwarts. Post Hogwarts, I definitely have to go a Quidditch match. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> only if they cheer this for the same team as I do because if not, that be yeah a problem. that's true. Yeah. oh boy well, couldn't be the teams that we like play against each other at least how about that
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. all right um you can find our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts spotify apple google uh, make sure you go and leave us a review on apple Podcasts. it really helps us grow and also we're coming out with pro- episodes every single
0: week every tuesday Okay, so again, about the reviews, I just want to say that we're really close to 30, so getting to 30 would be, like, amazing for us. Please and thank you. Um, You can find us on social media. We are Wizard Studies Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, and then we're Wizard Studies on Twitter. Then you can join our Facebook group, Wizard Studies Podcast Group on Facebook. Um, You can either just request to join it, and we can accept you. The only reason we have that is because, like, bots can be a thing so we just want to make sure that like you're a real person there are answer or questions that you can answer to automatically join then we don't have to like approve of you um either way is perfectly fine um we'd really appreciate you joining the giveaway is in its last day as of release date so you have like if you still want to be a part of that giveaway you can and then you can email us at podcasts at gmail.com
1: yeah
0: And those are all the avenues
1: where you can send us your mailing address so we can get you some pride buttons. Yes. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, just do your best. We'll do the rest.
0: And learn until our brain's all wrapped.